0: Well, welcome, everybody, to Downtown Harbor Church. Oh, last, last message didn't go up. I had a panic attack up here. Uh, <clears throat> not really, but it wasn't good. Uh, if it is your first time here at DHC, my name is John. I'm the lead pastor. Appreciate you guys coming on out. Merry Christmas in advance. Thank you so much for celebrating with us today. We are, in fact, wrapping up our Christmas series that we are calling It Started With Three and what we've been doing over the last three weeks, if it is your first time here. We've been taking a look at where it all began, where it all started with Mary, Joseph, and Jesus. And we've been just diving into their lives, finding out more about them, finding out what the first Christmas looked like for them specifically, and then ultimately, what can we learn about ourselves through their story. In week one, we talked about Joseph. And you know, a lot of churches don't focus on Joseph, but what we found was really, really interesting. We learned that Joseph was a Sadiq, this righteous man, and really he put love above the law. And it was an incredible choice that impacted Jesus's life forever. Last week, we took a look at what I called the real Mary. And if you're interested in finding out what that means, who the real Mary is, head to our website, wherever you get your podcast, or you can always go on Facebook and rewatch the video to find out exactly what that means. But today, As we wrap up this series, I want us to turn our attention to the main man, all right? I'm talking Mr. Reason for the season himself, Jesus. Now, I'm excited for today's message. In fact, I am more excited about today's message than anyone that I've given this year. And there's been a couple of humdingers out there. But today is exciting because the birth of Jesus, his story, really is the fulcrum point that all of history hinges. Everything in history, from the beginning to the end, comes together in today's story. So to look at his birth story, we're going to turn our attention to the Gospel of Matthew. In week one, when we were learning about Joseph, we read this particular account. So you're going to be very familiar with the first half of it before we get into today's reading. Now, I'm not going to stop and teach along the way because we've covered it, and many of you know it by now, and you could teach it yourselves. I'm just going to kind of read through it until we get to today's portion. Uh, Matthew, we're going to start in chapter 1, verse 18. And he says this, This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Now, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, and you all know what that means if you've been here, and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her. But after he considered this, meaning the divorce, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, now notice how he calls him son of David. Just keep that in your memory for a second. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son And you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will, now remember this for later, save his people from their sin. So all of this is familiar to you, for those of you who have been here for the last two weeks. Now, today's reading, Matthew kind of recaps everything that Gabriel has said. He kind of wraps up everything by saying, all of this occurred, meaning all the plans for Mary, all the plans for Joseph, all the plans for Jesus, all of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Okay. So he says, everything that I've told you has to happen exactly the way it's supposed to happen in order to fulfill prophecy. So let's stop and talk for a little bit about what prophecy is. Now, normally, when we talk about prophecy, a lot of times we just oversimplify it by saying, you know, prophecy is just a prediction about the future. And it is... But it's more than that, because predictions can be wrong. Prophecies always are correct. So the best way to understand prophecy, kind of the way that I think about it, is got to remember that God sees time differently than we do. He is outside of time. So in one, in one moment, God can see the past, he can see the present, and he can see the future. He sees it all simultaneously. Now, with that knowledge, God, particularly in the Old Testament, he would use prophets to kind of drop breadcrumbs along the way, little hints along the way, leading us to these truths in the future so that when we finally do happen upon these truths that he predicted, we would know, oh, okay, God is in this. God is working here. Now, in this particular scenario, we are talking about prophecies about the coming Messiah. And in the Hebrew scripture, the Old Testament as we call it, there's tons of prophecy about the coming Messiah, where he would be born, uh, to whom he would be born, where he would be born, where he would live, what his life would look like, even how he would be killed. And 600 years before crucifixion had even been invented, the prophets spoke about that method of execution. It's incredible. So Gabriel and Matthew are saying all of this is going to occur to fulfill a specific prophecy. And then Matthew lets us know what that prophecy is. It's quoting Isaiah 7.14. Look, the virgin will conceive a child, she will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. 750 years before the birth of Christ, Isaiah the prophet perfectly predicts that a virgin, who we now know is Mary, would give birth to his son. It's incredible. Now, maybe you're reading this and you're going, mm, got a little problem here, John, because, you know, he nailed the virgin part, but he did say that his name was going to be Emmanuel. And we know his name was Jesus. So what's up? But he got like half of it right and half of it wrong. Fear not. Notice what it actually says. It says that we would call him Emmanuel. We wouldn't name him. that, And that's a big difference. Think about this, Jesus all throughout scripture was called many things. He was called the Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. He was called the Everlasting. He called himself the Good Shepherd. He called himself the Way. Now I threw this one in too, the son of Mary, because we spoke about Mary last week. And if you were here and we talked about Mary, you remember that she had some concerns about saying yes to God's plan for her life. Namely that, well, it could get her killed. Number two, it could wreck her marriage. And number three, if she were to say yes to God and have this child, this baby would be illegitimate. And, and as, a, as a Jewish man who would be of illegitimate birth, that would, well, that would impact his life forever. So that was a concern for her. Well, it turns out she was right. Every once in a while in scripture, someone would call Jesus the son of Mary. And that was an insult. That was them pointing out Jesus's illegitimate birth. The the proper way would, would refer to him as the son of Joseph, like how Gabriel talked to Joseph and said son of David, you would say Jesus, son of Joseph, but it wasn't his son. So they called him son of Mary, just to zing up a little bit. So in scripture, we read that Jesus was called many things, but the one name, if you will, that he was called that I wanna focus on today, is the one we see in the Christmas account, and that is Emmanuel, which means God is with us. So as Christians, if you're if you're a Christian in the room, we kind of hear this idea of, of Emmanuel, God is with us, and we think, well, that makes perfect sense. I mean, if we were gonna sort of describe who Jesus is, Jesus is God with us. He was here on earth with us. This, this is a perfect description of who Jesus would be. But It's easy for us to say that because we forget that we live in the shadow of the cross. We live on this side of the resurrection. We, We are the beneficiaries of having a completed book known as the Bible that tells us the whole story from beginning to end. But for a Jewish person at this time, I mean, whether it was the birth of Jesus or 750 years earlier when this prophecy was first given, this idea of God being with them would be very difficult to imagine. Remember, the Jewish folks at this time had a very different relationship with God than we do now if if you're a Christian. Because for as much as they loved God, and they loved God, Scripture says with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength, because they didn't have Jesus yet, God was unapproachable. See, Because of Christ, Scripture tells us that as his followers, we can actually go boldly into God's throne room. We can be in the presence of God because of Jesus, but that wasn't always the case. See, for a Jewish person at this time, like the, 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 their idea of God being with them was, well, the temple. The temple located in Jerusalem, in the very inner sanctum, if you will, right? In all the walls, and the closer you get to the middle, there was a room called the Holy of Holies, and inside the Holy of Holies was God's presence. God was with them, there. And once a year, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies. Now, before he would go in, Scripture tells us that he would have to go through a tremendous amount of sanctification and purification and atonement to get rid of the sin in his life, because God can't be in the presence of sin. Now, because this high priest never knew, if he had done enough to get rid of the sin in his life, Before he entered into the Holy of Holies, scripture says that they would tie bells around their robes. They would put a rope around their waist. And now the priests, his buddies, would be outside the room listening as he went in there to see if they heard the bell stop moving. Because if the bell stopped moving, that means he died in there and they would pull him out with the rope. This is all the Jewish folks could think about when they had this idea of God being with them. So knowing that, I really was wondering, well, how would these folks have pictured Isaiah's prophecy coming true? I mean, what would it look like? I mean, if we went back in time, and we took a random sampling of first century Jewish folks and we said, all right, in your opinion, what kind of man do you think God would choose to be? What do you think? How, how is Isaiah's prophecy going to come to fruition? I think based on their experience with the temple and the Holy of Holies, I think they would probably say, well, he'll probably come as a king. Because a king is a position of, of the highest respect and the highest authority. You know, a king is untouchable, unapproachable, really. have a very limited interaction with a king. You know, a king lives in a palace, so that would be becoming of God. If he were to come and be with us, he would certainly live in a palace. And a king, they have servants at their beck and call, doing whatever they need. And so I would imagine that when God would come to this earth, he would be served. We would serve him. And maybe once in a year, God would invite, you know, the God King would invite someone of righteousness to come into his palace and sup with him. That This is sort of what, what they might picture when God would become one of us. But in no way, shape, or form could they have ever pictured what God would do that very first Christmas. Or what God would do while his whole time was here on this earth. Paul describes the type of man that Jesus would choose to be. In Philippians chapter 2, he says this of Jesus. Though he was God, he did not think equality with God is something to cling to. I love that verse. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. And he did this by taking on the nature of a servant. See, what Paul is saying here is that Jesus was and is God. And because of that, he could have come to this earth as a king. He could have chosen to live in a palace. He could have chosen to have servants at his beck and call doing whatever he wants you to do. But because of his love for us, he chose to give up his divine privileges in order to serve his subjects. He chose to give up the glory of heaven, to be born of a father who had lost his reputation as a righteous man. He chose to release his grip, as it says here, to his divine privileges, to be born of a woman who would gain a reputation as an adulteress. I mean, no Jewish person in a million years would have guessed that the God of heaven would choose to be born out of wedlock to a poor, culturally ostracized family. But this is exactly what the creator of the universe chose to do. And no one saw that coming. It actually doesn't make any sense. I mean, if you, think, I mean, if you were God and your plan was to come to this earth, to impact this world, to make a difference in people's lives, you would set yourself up for success. That makes sense. But from day one, Jesus chooses to put himself behind the eight ball. He chooses to insert himself into a family of no influence in society, into a family that has been marginalized by society, and he himself would be born illegitimate. The question I've been asking myself all week is, well, why? Why would God choose to enter the world this way? Because it was the only way. It was the only way for us to know how wide, long, high, and deep Jesus Christ's love is for us. Because yes, he could have come to this world as a king. Sitting on a throne, demanding to be served. He could have come as some great warrior commanding legions of angels. We know that these angels responded to him whenever he needed. He could have done all that, but instead he made the decision to be born an illegitimate baby to a marginalized and scandalized family. Why? To show us that God has identified with us in the mess that is our lives. And for the next 33 years, Jesus proved that he could redeem that situation that he was born into And turn it into the greatest movement in the history of the world. I mean, this amazing birth lets us know that God is not afraid of your life. God is not afraid of your situation. And God is certainly not afraid of your reputation. And I don't know if society or your family or God forbid even the local church has turned their back on you for who you are, or for what you've done. or for, But the Christmas story lets us know that God is with you, and that God is for you. And Jesus would live the rest of his life proving that God is not afraid of your mess. And he's done all of this to restore our relationship with our Heavenly Father. See, 750 years before Jesus was born, When Isaiah made this prophecy about God being with us and one of us, no one could have ever imagined how intimate that relationship would actually be with Jesus. And God wasn't done showing us how far he would go for us. Paul tells it like this. He, speaking of Jesus, appeared as a man. He was humble and obeyed God completely. And he did this even though it led to his death, even worse, died on a cross. You see, for thousands of years, Jewish folks sacrificed animals for the forgiveness of sin. That is how they atoned for their sin. But they knew, I mean, it was very clear, that their sacrifices were imperfect. They wouldn't last forever. So they had to do it every single year, year after year, year after year. But this is what God asked of them. And they would have never imagined that God himself, because he loved them so much, would actually send his own son to die as the perfect sacrifice for the forgiveness of their sins. Now that same prophet Isaiah who predicted the birth of that baby also predicted exactly how that baby would one day die. He prophesied. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried and it was our sorrows that weighed him down. He was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole and he was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, it says. That's you, me, that's Mary, that's Joseph. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet, the Lord laid on him the sins of all. 750 years before Jesus was born, 600 years before crucifixion had even been invented. This is why Gabriel told Joseph, you have to name this child Jesus because he would save his people from their sins. Jesus, God with us, was beyond anybody's wildest dreams. No one could have ever imagined that God himself would walk with us that God himself would talk with us that he would eat with us that he would teach us to live that he would teach us to love and no one ever saw it coming that he would die for us and there would come a day that Jesus would no longer be with us anymore towards the end of his earthly ministry called his disciples into a room and he goes guys here's the deal Basically, my job here on earth is done. I have come to do what I needed to do. and It is my time now to go back to be with the Father. Now, when the disciples heard that, that made them nervous. That was a scary notion for the disciples because it would be the first time that they would no longer have Emmanuel. God would no longer be with them. But Jesus reassured them, and he said something that was actually incredible. He goes, guys, I tell you the truth. It is better for you that I go away. That always blows my mind. It's better for you that I'm not actually with you. If I do not go, the helper will not come to you. If I go, I will send him to you. He will be with you forever. He's the spirit of truth and the world cannot receive him. He does not see him or know him, but you know him because he lives with you and will be in you. You know what this means? This means that for the very first time in history, God would live in us forever. That the God of this universe, who created everything, who was once untouchable, has now proven his love for us by taking up residence in the heart of every single man, woman, and child who calls his son Jesus, Lord. 2,021 years ago, on that silent night in Bethlehem when Mary and Joseph held that little baby wrapped in swaddling clothes. They never could have imagined the plans that God had for that child. The plans that he had for this world and they never could have imagined the plans that God had for you. So what do we do? What's the practical? If it's your first time here at DHC every week we put this word on the screen Because we just want to make sure you can leave on a Sunday and know exactly what to do with what you've heard. So I want to wrap up today's message. I want to wrap up the whole kind of Christmas series by asking you a question. It's really an invitation. Um, And I want to attach it to a Christmas song so that whenever you hear this song, you will be reminded of the real reason for the Christmas season. Now, as a Christmas music connoisseur, I have appreciation for all the carols that are out there, all the songs that are out there, but there is one song that stands out and stands the test of time as being a true masterpiece, and that is Handel's Messiah. Now, in this song, there is a line, and when you see it, you're going to recognize it immediately, but this is actually a line right out of Scripture. It's a line right out of Isaiah's prophecy about the coming... Messiah, the soon-to-be Jesus Christ. Isaiah writes, and Handel captures beautifully, for unto us a child is born. Unto us a child is given. See, Christmas is about God giving us his son. Now, one day, Jesus' best friend would write a line, And I don't know if he knew this when he wrote this, but one day this line that Jesus' best friend would write would go on to be perhaps the most famous line in all of scripture. And I would argue and could argue that it's perhaps one of the greatest lines in all of literature. One day, Jesus' best friend, the guy who Jesus asked to take care of his mother when he died, he wrote, For God so loved the world that he gave. There it is. He gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. 2,000 years ago, God gave this world the gift of salvation. That whoever would say yes to Jesus would be made right with God, their Heavenly Father. Now, because I know many of you personally, I know that you've heard the claims of Christ and you believe in your heart that he is who he claims to be. Namely, the Son of God, the Messiah, the Savior. And when you said yes to him, your life was changed forever, in ways that you probably came and articulate if I asked you to. But there may be some of you here today or watching online, or listening in the future who, when you hear the story of Christmas, when you hear the claims of Jesus, when you see what Paul said about him, when you hear the prophecies of Isaiah, you can't help but think to yourself, "This gift isn't for me. Because of the life that I've lived or am living, because of the mistakes that I have made or am making, there is just no way that God is for me, no. And like I said earlier, maybe it's something society has said about you, maybe it's something your family has said that made you feel this way, but you can't help believe that God wants nothing to do with you. But here's what I want you to know And here's what I want you to never forget. God wants all people to be saved from the punishment of sin. He wants them to know, he wants them to come to know the truth that there is one God and there is one man standing between God and man and that man is Jesus Christ. And he gave his life for all men so they could go free and not be held from the power of sin. And God made this known to the world at the right time. And that right time was Christmas 2021 years ago in that tiny town of Bethlehem. So in the spirit of this text and in the spirit of Christmas, I just have one question that I want you to meditate on for the rest of this season. Will you receive God's gift? Scripture's clear, God has a plan for every single one of our lives. But that plan begins when you say yes to his son, Jesus. And as we saw in this series, when we saw it with Mary, we saw it with Joseph, God will not force his will onto your life. You have to make a decision for yourself to follow him. So my prayer for you, and I've been praying this all week, is that you would invite Jesus to be with you. Emmanuel. So this Christmas season, I want you to remember that it started with a baby who would bring God into our hearts. Let me pray for you. Dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for the gift of Christmas. Lord, for thousands upon thousands of years, since the third chapter in the Bible, you have let us know that Jesus was your plan. To fix it all. To bridge that broken gap between us and you. And Lord, I am so grateful personally that you sent your son, the Messiah, into this world 2,000 years ago. Lord, I am personally thankful for all you've done in my life. And I know that everyone in this room who has said yes to your son would fall to their knees as well and thank you but perhaps there are people today here listening online that have heard your story, that have seen what you've done in Scripture, that have felt your love emanating out of those people around them who call themselves Christians, followers of you. And I pray that today might be the day that they say yes. Jesus that for the first time in their life they would be made right with their Heavenly Father and their lives would be changed forever. Thank you God for what you did 2,000 years ago. Thank you for sending your son Jesus into this world. And we put all of this in his holy and precious name.